Sometimes I still need my GPS to drive from my house to my parents' house. They only live like 30 minutes away, and I drive there a couple of times a month, but still, each time I go to visit, I end up second-guessing my sense of direction and using my GPS. Honeybees, on the other hand, can fly up to three miles away from their hive in search of food and still find their way home. Some research says it's up to five miles. The point being, bees are pretty smart, smarter than most of us realize. So smart that some researchers are putting their cognitive abilities to the test. They think it could be the answer to unlocking powerful artificial intelligence. Plus, it has some implications for how we approach conservation of honeybees in other species. Welcome to Behind the Veil, a show about a first-year beekeeper trying to answer the questions, what's killing bees, and who's doing something about it? In today's episode, I talked to Dr. Scarlett Howard. Uh, so my name is Dr. Scarlett Howard, and I'm a postdoctoral research fellow at Deakin University in Melbourne, Australia at the moment. I've also worked in um, labs at RMIT, uh, the University of Melbourne, and the University of Toulouse III in France. And I work on honeybee cognition, honeybee behaviour, and I've started to work on as well native bee behaviour, as well as um, pollination, flower preferences, and basically any sort of bee behaviour. Scarlett wasn't always this into honeybees. Her master's is in zoology, and she didn't anticipate studying bees at first. The truth is, she was scared of them, like a lot of people are. I was just sort of told that you shouldn't choose your scientific projects based on how cute you find the species or anything like that. You should choose it based on how interested you are in the actual project. And um, Dr. Adrian Dyer um, was someone I met who worked on bees. He'd worked on bees for a long time and he told me about all these incredible things they could do like recognizing human faces and discriminating between really difficult color comparisons. And I just thought, how do you train a bee? Like, I wanna see this for myself. So. I started working on that project fully being terrified of bees, but then just fell in love with the work and watching how the bees work and how intelligent they actually were. Just as soon as I saw it, I was hooked on doing that sort of research. So other scientists had studied bees' cognitive abilities before. Scarlett made a big discovery, which we'll get into, but first I want to set the stage. Before her research, there had been studies that proved bees can count up to four landmarks and can match patterns. For example, they can look at three blue circles and understand it's the same as three yellow stars. And I was really intrigued by that. And there had been more methods developed that seemed to allow bees to learn things better, not in the number area, but in color vision and that sort of thing um, since these number studies were first conducted. And I thought, I wonder if I sort of use these new methods of training bees, which involved giving them a reward of sugar water for correct choice and um, then they would taste a bitter tasting substance called quinine if they made an incorrect choice. I wonder if we applied that, um, what we call appetitive aversive conditioning to number learning, could we make them learn some really complex tasks? So the question here is if bees are trained with appetitive aversive conditioning, which is just a fancy way of saying you'll give them a good tasting thing if they get a right answer and a bad tasting thing if they get a wrong answer. If you do that, could you train them to do something really complex? And what would that complex thing be? Well, Scarlett and her team had a pretty crazy idea. 
my supervisors at the time during my PhD had this feeling that you should go hard or go home. And so we thought, what's one of the sort of craziest things we could test them for? And after a lot of discussion, we came up with starting with the concept of zero. The concept of zero. In other words, do bees know that zero is a number? Can they place it on a number line? The phone or computer you're listening to this on runs on a string of zeros and ones. Without zero, modern electronics wouldn't exist. And while zero is important, it isn't innate to humans. We have to learn zero. If you ask a four-year-old which number is smaller, one or zero, less than half will get the answer right. Humans had to invent zero, and a lot of cognitive scientists believe only humans have the power to understand it. So Scarlett and her team designed an experiment. What we did was train bees individually to come to an apparatus just where we could place cards of different shapes on them. So we would show them two numbers. One might be the number two, so two triangles, and another one might be three triangles. And we would train bees to always choose the lowest number. So if they chose two when we showed them two versus three, they'd get a reward of sucrose. If they'd chosen three, they'd get that punishment of quinine. When I first read about this experiment, I got a little lost, so I want to clarify. Essentially, bees are shown two doors with shapes on them, and they need to go through the door with the least number of shapes. If they do, they get sugar water, but if they pick the wrong door, they get a bitter substance, which is quinine. I asked Scarlett how they even get bees to go to this apparatus in the first place to be trained. We would have maybe around 50 hives in the area. And uh, we would set out these gravity feeders, which are just uh, transparent glass jars, which dispense sucrose. And the bees will go there um, and collect sucrose, take it back to their hive. We pick them up on a spoon that has an even higher concentration of sugar water on it. And then we walk them over to our apparatus. Honeybees are central place foragers. So if we're giving them a reward for coming to this apparatus, which was the sugar water, they'll just keep coming back for as long as they can because they never get full since they're working for the hive. So they go back, deposit their sucrose, and then come back to the experiment so we can test them basically indefinitely um, as long as there's good enough weather. So bees fly to this apparatus, and each time a new bee goes in, Scarlet changes up the numbers. Sometimes they'll see two versus three, other times four versus five, one versus four, and so on. Um, and we changed the shapes, we changed the configuration. And over time, we saw that bees would start to learn this less than rule. So whatever numbers we showed them, they would go to the lower number. Then what we did was have this unreinforced test where they don't get a reward or a punishment for making a choice. We just show them two novel numbers and we see what they do. And so the novel numbers we showed them were zero and two or three. Um, and we also did an opposite comparison where we showed them a higher number as well, but that's just for control. So we showed them zero versus two, zero versus three, zero versus one. Okay, let me point out an important piece of this. This next phase of the experiment that she's describing is key because at this point, bees haven't seen zero before. Every card until this point has had a number on it. Now, with no sugar reward, the bees are being asked to pick the card with the lowest number. What we found was they'd actually learnt the rule of going to the lower number, and this led them to show us that they understood that nothing was a quantitative value, so it actually had a value, and when you compared it to other numbers, even though they've been rewarded on those numbers before, 
when they saw zero, which they'd never seen before, they thought this is the lower number, even though it didn't consist of any shapes. This is huge. Bees can, in fact, understand the concept of zero. But Scarlett didn't stop there. Her and her team decided to take it a step further and conduct another study to figure out if bees can do addition and subtraction. I, I first tried to get bees to add two numbers together. So they would fly into this wire maze, which is, you know, first got a long chamber where they could see a stimulus and then they could fly into two other chambers, so the Y shape, and um, see two options which would be correct or incorrect. And what I first tried to do was get them to add two different cards of numbers so they might see a two and a three and I'd try and get them to realize that was five. That did not work. <laughs> um, that was a little bit too hard. I think it was a lot of information as well for them. So then what we, as a team, what we decided to do was well, get them to learn addition and subtraction simultaneously. Here's how they did it. Imagine a maze in the shape of a Y. And at the entrance, there's a card with a certain amount of shapes on it. And the shapes are either blue or yellow. If they're blue, the bees need to add one to that number of shapes. If they're yellow, subtract one. So they look at the card with the shapes and the colors of them, then they go past the entrance. And just like with the zero experiment, there are two cards, one with the correct answer and one with a randomly chosen incorrect answer. So if we showed them a three and it was yellow and they flew in, they should choose two and they'd get a reward. But the incorrect answer could also be three. So they couldn't match, you know, what looks closest to the number. That was how we sort of controlled for low level cues. Of course, not unlike humans, bees can also cheat at math tests. That's why Scarlett had to switch out the numbers and the shapes and be extra careful about all the other ways that bees may cheat. Bees are really good at trying to cheat the task. And so if you give them a sucrose reward, uh, which is that sugar water, they will try and scent mark that. And so every time they touch something, we have to clean it with ethanol, clean it with water, then dry it. Um, so we do that throughout the whole experiment. But just to make 100% sure that they're not um, cheating us in some way, we then run these unreinforced tests where they don't get sucrose or quinine. So there is no reason for them to scent mark anything they touch because they're not tasting sucrose. So similar to the zero experiment, they ran tests with no rewards and with new numbers that the bees had never seen before. And we actually got them to, depending on the color of the stimuli, do addition and subtraction, which was, again, really interesting. Then we got them to do it with a novel number. So we never showed them during training, for example, the number three. And then during unrewarded tests, as I said before, they don't get a reward or a punishment. They would then have to tell us what they thought was correct um, without reinforcement uh, with this novel number that they hadn't seen before in that context. And they did that really well. So we were getting, you know, between 60 and 70% correct choices from them, which is quite good <laughs> for that sort of experiment. 60 to 70% of the time, bees can get the answers right. That's higher than chance. And here's where things get really crazy. If you think about it, bees are having to use both short and long-term memory to do this math. So the long-term memory part is that bees over time have to learn addition that's blue, subtraction, that's yellow, I have to plus one or minus one. Um, the short term of it is bees flying in and first seeing that first number that they have to either add or subtract from, and then they fly past that into the next chambers and then they can't see that first number again. 
Um, so they have to keep that in their short-term working memory and know, okay, I saw four, now these two options are either five or three, um, which one's correct. And yeah, so they're using sort of these two different types of memory to complete the task, which actually is what makes it a very complex task is that they have to use both of those, the working and the long-term memory to be able to complete it. And if they weren't using one of them, it wouldn't be possible to do the task. At this point, I started wondering, why do bees even have this ability? Like, how would math help bees survive in the wild? So I sort of have my own theory uh, about this that I often talk about, which is bees, I think, are just really good learners. Because of their lifestyle, they have to um, learn a location and honeybees that can then, you know, communicate that location to their um, fellow hive mates. And they can also learn really, they have to learn flower colour, they have to learn flower scent, or they have to learn the shape of the flower. Um, can they get nutrition from this flower species? Or is that one that doesn't provide any reward? Or is that one they can't even access because of the shape of it? Um, so they have to learn all these things while they're out foraging for flowers and remember them. That I think they're, that, that lifestyle has sort of forced them to become really good learners. So maybe a numerical ability that we're testing them for isn't exactly relevant to their lifestyle. But because they're so good at learning things, that means they can also learn greater versus lesser um, arithmetic, human faces um, and extrapolation and that sort of thing. But it might not necessarily be that they need to use that in their everyday lives, but just because of the pressure put on them, the evolutionary pressure to learn things, they're just really good at it. This data that Scarlett collected about how bees learn also opened the doors to some other really interesting questions like, are some bees better at math than others? She worked with a theoretical physicist to run an analysis on her results. Turns out, bees learn at different rates. I think it comes down to um, just being individuals. So they have experienced very different things in their lives. You know, some of those bees that we tested, they're foragers, they could have been foragers that had just come out of the hive, you know, the day before. So they were very new. Um, so maybe they were a bit slower at learning, at finding the location of the apparatus or something, you know. And so they had to put a lot more effort into navigating and not think about the task too much. That's just a bit of <laughs> anthropomorphism. But, you know, um, then other bees could have been out for weeks and they'd been really good at foraging and they're really fast at making decisions at that point because they know exactly what they're doing. They know what to look for. So... Basically, each bee learnt in the addition and subtraction experiment, each bee learnt in a sort of different way when we analysed their learning curves. And so they showed quite different learning behaviour. We were thinking that we would find this aha moment where bees, um, you know, at 50 trials, all bees went, oh, from 50%, they didn't really know what they're doing. Then they started, you know, started learning there or went, you know, to 80%. They're like, oh, I know what I'm doing now. But that wasn't the case. Each of the bees, yeah, was quite different. And I mean, insects also can have different personalities. They have different life experiences, different, you know, ages as well. So that sort of makes sense that they would learn differently. And the other thing is due to the nature of the experiment, the bees weren't shown, each bee wasn't given the exact same sequence of numbers and sequence of trials. So one bee might've started doing addition then switch to subtraction addition subtraction 
Um, one B might have started on subtraction. The numbers were different because we had we wanted to randomize everything to make sure we took out as much of those biases and confounds as we could. Um, so yeah, everything was randomized for each different B, which also meant that perhaps they learned a bit differently too because they were having different learning experiences. Honeybees are individuals that learn at different rates, they can understand the concept of zero, and do addition and subtraction. But you may ask, why does this matter? Well, our brain has over 100 billion neurons. A bee brain has less than 1 million, yet they're able to learn complex tasks incredibly quickly with nothing but a few drops of sugar for energy. If we can figure out how they learn so efficiently, we could create bio-inspired artificial intelligence based on bee brains. Doing this work on an animal with such a small brain gives us sort of an avenue to start looking at bio-inspired technology inspired by insects. So there's a lot of different stuff out there um, and there's people working on making entirely bio-inspired neural networks based on bees or based on ant brains. And any more information we can sort of work out based on the complexity, what sort of complex tasks they can do with this tiny brain allows us to sort of go further in that bio-inspired field. So we work with a, a theoretical physicist, Professor Andrew Greentree, and he's been instrumental in having a look further into these sort of bio-inspired ways in these neural nets. Scarlett says there's another reason why this research is important. It can inspire the conservation of honeybees and other species. A lot of people think that insects are very basic, simple creatures with these tiny brains, and they, they do have very small brains, but they're actually really complex and they can learn a lot of intelligent things. And I think showing people that the expectations of different animals are perhaps incorrect and maybe they should um, sort of, yeah, respect them a bit more through these experiments, we can show how intelligent they are. I, I love doing that and I love changing people's opinions on insects, including my own. <laughs> Um, of how scared I was at the start and now I just love working with them. And I think that sort of helps us in terms of conservation as well because people think, wow, they're really smart. Like we need to make sure that insects are conserved and they're just as important as all the cuddly animals out there. While not all of us think of honeybees as cute and cuddly, some of us do. And while honeybees are up against some serious challenges, they're not as endangered as other species. In Australia, honeybees are doing better than in any other part of the world. They don't have varroa mite, which is one of the largest threats honeybees face. Plus, they don't have colony collapse disorder. So in the grand scheme of things, honeybees are doing pretty well. Scarlett and her colleague, Dr. Adrian Dyer, published a paper expressing their opinion for how we can get public support for the conservation of species. I think it's looking a little bit further than the services they just provide us. So obviously honeybees, they give us honey, they do pollination, and we know they're really important for food production. But when we start to show that they're also really intelligent, and it's so in their own right, they're intelligent, complex beings that deserve to be conserved. If we then apply that thinking to other insects, because we saw such a huge response to our numerical studies of how much people wanted to know more about bees, yeah, we can start to start to look at how to popularize other insects that are maybe more endangered. And um, sort of that was the basis of that opinion piece. I honestly hadn't thought about this. Even I tend to tell people bees are important because they're responsible for over 30% of the food we eat. But it's not exactly true, and it's also overlooking a key point. Bees are intelligent creatures. We should protect them because they deserve it, not just because they're useful to us.
Behind the Veil is hosted by me, Alfredo Salkeld, and produced in partnership with Budabee Apiary. Budabee Apiary installs and maintains beehives in backyards with one mission in mind, help people fall in love with honeybees. A big thank you to Dr. Scarlett Howard for talking to me about her research. For those of you who are wondering, what about division and multiplication? Scarlett says they're working on designing that experiment now. When the findings are published, I'll be sure to follow up. On the next episode, I talk to Cassie Cheehorse from the Washington State Department of Agriculture. We talk about Asian giant hornets, or murder hornets, as they're being referred to in the news. Definitely give it a listen. If you found it surprising that bees understand zero, I'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again.